This is Community Roundtable, a production of .com Plus, 105.5 FM WNSP, 92.1 WZEW, 96.5 The Crab, and 92.5 The Soul. Here's Kelly Finley. Good Sunday morning and welcome to the Community Roundtable. When I tell you I have been excited for this guest for over a year now, and when you hear who it is, you'll understand why. It's the reason I get to work here. It's the reason I get to uh, greet you every Sunday. Sunday, and I'm excited to bring you in on the behind the scenes of someone who's pretty fantastic and fantastically talented and so humble that he really didn't want to do this, but I'm <laughs> grateful that he's here. As I do each Sunday, I have my guests introduce themselves and tell you which organization they are with. Good morning. Good morning to you, Kelly. Good morning. It's Tim Camp, and uh, I am... The Director of Operations, Director of Programming, and Part Owner of .com Plus LLC, which operates WZEW, WNSP, The Crab, and The Soul of Mobile. And I'm so excited for you to be here. So last year, I started a segment where I was able to um, introduce the public to some of their favorite locals when it comes to DJs and um, really talented people. Because we get to hear from you during a certain time of the day, but more people want more information. And mm-hmm. so we're continuing with that um, today. Very excited to have you on. And I want to know the scoop on all things Tim Camp. So, because people know you from the radio, but they don't understand all that you put into being able to be the boss man. Right. Okay. So where are you originally from? Mobile, Alabama. Where did you go to high school? Murphy. So you're the home of the Panthers. That's correct. All right. When you were little Tim... What was your goal? What was your dream? Well, um, you know, probably in early ages, uh, like most kids, you know, you think about, yeah, I want to be a fireman or I want to be a policeman or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, my first early memory was uh, that I wanted to uh, be uh, like uh, my older brother. So, uh, you know, he was kind of my uh, hero, mm-hmm. you know. My oldest brother, he was a journalist, and uh, so that's what I wanted to do. And then my other older brother, I was the baby of my family, I have to say. I was the youngest of five kids. So my other brother uh, was uh, interested in electronics and uh, broadcasting. Interesting. So uh, both uh, kind of in the communications field. So that was uh, that was where I wanted to go. And I also wanted to play music. My father was a musician, so I wanted to play music. So, you know, I guess the good thing I uh, can say about my life is that I got to do the broadcasting. I got to do the electronics <laughs> and I got to do the music. Um, my oldest brother was a journalist. I don't ever never really considered myself a journalist. So, But you inform. I do inform, but, you know, he was a uh, at the very top of his game mm-hmm. as a journalist. And so that's that's quite an, uh, something to aspire to be. And I never uh, uh, got to even the bottom of his coattails in, reg- <laughs> in that regard. I mean, he was, uh, uh, let's put it this way, he was an editor at the New York Times for 30 years. So. Mm. Mm-mm. I mean, it's remarkable in itself, but the fact that as the little brother, you can appreciate that, that is a gift for mm-hmm. sure. Mm. So you, it seems like you had a little bit of everything poured into who we get to see today. 
at what point did the uh, music bug really bite you? Oh, early, early on. Uh, there was music in my family and my household all around. I mean, my father was a musician. He was a trumpet player and a drummer. And uh, my uh, older brothers and sisters were into music. My oldest brother loved to sing. Um, my oldest sister uh, was uh, into uh, uh, music. She was a pianist. And uh, my other sister was into music from the standpoint of dance. She was a dancer. Uh, so uh, there was just always music in my household. And... Um, my father put a trumpet. He was a trumpet player. Mm-hmm. Um, you can see a picture of him holding his trumpet in the uh, Mardi Gras Museum in downtown Mobile. So um, he put a trumpet in my hand when I was about nine years old. So. It, and did you immediately take to it, or did you did you try to say, "Hey, I want to try other instruments"? That kind I of did. I did both. I mean, I I played the trumpet and uh, uh, continued to play the trumpet all the way through uh, high school in uh, marching band at Murphy. But I, um, you know, did want to try other instruments. And the thing about it was, is because my dad was a, a musician, he was just like, he never could say no to me if it was music. You know, it's like I saw a ukulele hanging in the window of a store, and I said, I want the ukulele, and he bought me the ukulele. And well, that doesn't really pan out. You know, so then, <laughs> then I wanted a bass guitar, and he bought me a bass guitar, and I played bass guitar for a while. And uh, this was like when I was in my early teens, and I wanted to be in a rock and roll band. The Beatles and the Rolling Stones had come along, and everybody wanted to be in a rock and roll band. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I wanted to do that. But, um, uh, you know, I, I didn't get a chance to ever play bass in a band because uh, some of my friends were putting together a band, and they said, we already got a bass player, but you've taken piano lessons. We need a, we need somebody to play uh, organ. So you've had keyboard lessons, so you're going to play keyboard. So then I went and told my dad I needed a an organ to play in this van and he went and bought me an organ. So, I mean, you know, that's the, that's the way he rolled. And, and thinking back on it, he was not a man of means, you know, he was very much, uh, uh, probably middle to lower middle class. Okay. Salary wise. Mm -hmm. Uh, he was a clerk for the Louisville Nashville railroad. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, in never really, um, made a whole lot of money playing music, made extra money playing music, you know, pocket changes, they call it, uh-huh. uh, grocery money, that but, kind of but thing. But understood the importance of the arts in your life. Yes, uh-huh. very much so. Uh, my parents both believed that uh, the arts were what uh, gave you character. I agree. I mean, as a parent, I get it. I, I admire anyone who can even read music, let alone play it, because I can do neither. But I appreciate it, mm-hmm. for sure. For sure. And, and your dad, uh, one of the big reasons why you uh, have a big love of trains. Yes. Yes. He worked for the railroad. And so uh, because he worked for the railroad, when I was uh, growing up, we could travel anywhere in the country. And you're talking about in the 60s now. So this is, uh, you got to realize how uh, uh, magnificent that was. We could travel anywhere in the country for free on the railroad because he worked for the railroad. Uh, and all railroads, there were different railroad companies. You know, you had the New York Central or the uh, Pennsylvania Railroad or the Gulf Mobile in Ohio, the Louisville, Nashville. I mean, there, it goes on and on and on. Uh, Santa Fe, whatever. They uh, what's reciprocated. 
Mm-hmm. So if you let our employees ride on your rails for free, we'll let yours ride for free. So you could ride anywhere in the country for free. So we did a lot of traveling on the train. Does it surprise you that most people have never been on a train? No, I mean, uh, it's, I guess, of a bygone era, but it is a, you know, relaxing way to travel. Um, um, my kids and I just took a, a rather long train trip uh, this past summer, and and. and you know they're teenagers in uh, 2021, and they had a blast. So it sounds fun. I mean, and, and it and it looks very romantic too. I just may want to mm-hmm. add that too for any couples or families yeah. um, that want to create great memories. Yeah, I never got to never got to travel on the on the train and do what I uh, always had wanted to be able to do on the train. What? What was it? <laughs> uh, sit in the club car and have cocktails. <laughs> I was too young when I grew up riding, riding, uh, and and then by time this past year when we took the train trip with my kids, I don't drink anymore. So, well, you know, you could have a Shirley Temple. Yeah. You didn't say what kind of what kind of cocktail. Yeah, there's a time when I would have sat in the in, in the in the club car and pounded cocktails, <laughs> but no longer. Okay, so so you know, you graduate from Murphy High School. Where's your first stop professionally? Uh, well, actually, I started working in radio before I got out of hosp- high school. I um, started working at uh, the age of 16 at, at WABB AM. There was no FM at that point in time. So I'm really dating myself now. There was no <laughs> FM radio when I started in radio. It was all AM. And WABB AM was the top 40 station, the big rock and roll station in the market. So, so what did you do there? Uh, well, I started out working on weekends, and uh, my job was on Sunday morning, they played all these religious programs, and those programs would come in on tape, on reel-to-reels. And uh, so I had to take this week's shows and get them organized and take last week's shows and mail them back to where they came from. Mm-hmm. And uh, then on Saturday night, uh, overnight, from midnight to 6 a.m., I uh, spun records in the control room. I was not allowed to talk. In fact, they had uh, liners that said uh, uh, that the DJ was Silent Sam. So, <laughs> Wait, was, you were not allowed to talk? I was not allowed to were talk. Were you so tempted? Oh, of course. Uh, but, you know, the program director at the radio station at the time had me in training so I could get to go in the production room and pretend I was on the air. And, and he said if, when I was ready, he would let me go on the air. So... At any rate, I was silent, Sam. And then on then at 6 o'clock, starting at 6 o'clock Sunday morning, I played those religious programs, the tapes. Mm-hmm. And then I uh, would come back in uh, on Monday after school and uh, pack the tapes up and mail them off. And then uh, later in the week on Friday, I would go back and um, get the new tapes and get them ready to go on Sunday morning. And, and so that was the routine. A silent Sam, moving, silent making Sam. silent moves. Okay. So what happened was, is I was doing this on the weekends, and uh, the the gentleman who was the disc jockey, this was back in the day in radio when there was a disc jockey there live 24 hours a day. I know that seems odd to some people today, but that's, 24... I mean, that's new info to some people. Yeah, 24-7. As a matter of fact, there was a newsman on duty up until 11 p.m. at oh, night. Oh, wow. Okay, uh-huh. so uh, different different era, of course. So, at any rate, the guy who was doing midnight to six uh, quit and uh, suddenly, and they did not have anybody to do it. So, the program director said, uh, uh, you're on the air. 
So when now did, I was allowed to talk. <laughs> so Silent Sam, do you get a new name at that point? I became point? unsilent Sam. <laughs> I mean, and, and I love well, that you... Well, I, I started out using my name, Tim Camp. Okay. And then all the other DJs on the radio station were making fun of me because I was so young and my voice was so young. They called me Tin Can. Oh, <laughs> they, they loved you then. Yeah. When, you get a, when you get a nickname early... They love you for yeah, sure. So. And I'm glad you shared that, Tim, because there are many people who are vying for a job. They have a dream job and they think that they have to apply and they'll automatically get it. It's about opportunity. It's about putting your work, putting in the work, being in the right spot and people seeing your work ethic. And then when that opportunity presents itself, you must be ready. Yeah, you can't catch the bus if you're not standing on the corner. Dropping knowledge, silent Sam. (laughs) I love that. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna repeat that one for sure. Okay, so now you're on air. Yeah, so I'm on air, and and I'm still in high school. Okay, so I'm like um, going to school, and uh, then going home in the afternoon, and uh, going to sleep, and then getting up at eleven o'clock, and then going to work. 11 p.m. 11 p.m. Um, until what time? 6 a.m. in the morning. And then at 6 a.m. in the morning, I'd go home and do my homework, take a shower, and go to school. I, I hope our parents and grandparents and really our young people just heard that. I mean, that's, that's called hustle. Mm-hmm. Because you, you wanted something, you earned it, and you made sure to maintain it. 11 p.m. to 6 a.m., you're on air. Then you go home, you do your homework. Then you shower and you go to school. Right. Did your classmates know what you were doing? Yeah, yeah. Some of the some of them, the people that knew me, and I was pretty. I was a pretty cool guy because at that point in time in high school, I'm uh, I'm playing in a band. Okay, <laughs> so uh, I'm playing keyboards in a band, and I'm working on the rock and roll radio station. Oh, you're very cool. Yeah, and you're very cool, in, in which 12th- got me into a lot of trouble. Eleventh <laughs> grade or twelfth grade. 11th grade. 11th grade doing all this. Yeah. So, uh, you know, anyway, ended up getting, I ended up uh, getting married okay. when I was uh, 17 years old. Were you still in school? Yes. And uh, I finished school in night school. So I finished finished high school. I was supposed to graduate in 1970, mm-hmm. and I graduated in 1969 in high school, in night school, rather. Even with all that you had on your plate and a new bride. Right. Well, I've, you know, I found night school was actually easier because it was, you know, it was uh, kind of like, I don't know, kind of like the, the what the kids are doing now with the, some of the virtual school and the schoolology and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You had you had a pamphlet for each course, and it had all of the tests in it. So then you had a textbook. So you read the textbook, and you took the test. And, and if you passed the test, mm-hmm. then you uh, got credit for that course. So, um, you know, there were some, some of the courses, uh, high school courses, I completed in a week or two. And... Um, Oh my goodness! That kind of stuff. So you yeah. have, and you've got drive, and you, you obviously have brilliance. And so, all right. So now you you've graduated high school. You're mm-hmm. still working um, at the radio station. Yes. Yes. Okay. And then I then I then I made a career move in radio, uh, which makes us have to backtrack okay. because when I was a youngster, 
um, one of the things that I mentioned, my older brother was in electronics and, and broadcasting and interested in radio. In fact, he went into the military, went into the Army because of the Vietnam War and was in the Signal Corps in uh, Vietnam. So I'm uh, learning so much about you. So it. luckily he was not uh, in the jungle. He was, you know, mm-hmm. in the trying at the communications center for the U.S. Army in uh, Vietnam. But at any rate, he was into electronics. So I, I was interested in electronics as well. I thought I was fascinated by radio. I was fascinated by the point, by the fact that you could, uh, and you have to think about this, this is the late 50s. We're talking about just the fact that you could talk into a microphone and somebody's voice could be heard around the world. It's a big deal. That's a big deal. So, you know, that fascinated. So I was everything I could get my hands on about electronics. I'd go to the library, to the Mobile Public Library, and every book on electronics I could get, I would check out and I would read and study and learn electronics. So uh, I got my first amateur radio uh, license when I was 14. Mm-hmm. And uh, by the time I was 16, I had uh, that was like what they call a novice class license. And then I got a general class license by the time I was almost 16, and then when I was 17 years old, I took uh, the uh, first class radio telephone FCC uh, commercial license test and passed that. So um, because I was having, working in radio, so I'm doing the all nights, and, and you know, at WBB, I'm uh-huh. there in the middle of the night. So that's when the engineers would come in and uh, do their work, work on the equipment. And so Doug Rayburn, who was the chief engineer at WABB in uh, the 60s, uh, he comes in and, and we get to talking and, and he finds out that I have my first class radio telephone license. And he's like, what are you doing working overnights if you got a first class phone? If you got you the first phone, that was the, what they called it. You have your first phone and you're working overnights? Are you crazy? You're, how much is are they paying you? What, $110 a week is what I was making. Uh-huh. Okay. He said, you can make four times that. Because you had that license. Because I have the license. So Why? What's the difference for those who are not familiar from, you started with amateur is the, obviously the, the beginner all the way up to where you were at that point. What is the difference? Is it because of the knowledge you have, the experience you have, the testing well, because you've because of the law, through? actually – at that time, AM was king. It was like I said before, FM radio. So a lot of AMs were directional. Well, the law, the federal communications law said that there had to be somebody on duty 24-7 who had a first-class radio telephone license because oh. of the directional array of the, you know, to maintain the directional signal of the radio station. So therefore, if... uh if a radio station had DJs who didn't have a first phone, then they had to pay an engineer and a DJ to be there. Oh, they and they you're all in one. Uh, you're all in one. So that's why you can double your salary. They're paying out $600 a week for two, and you could make $450 uh-huh. a week being one taken care of two, if that makes sense. It makes so, a lot of sense. You don't want so, anybody to eat off your table. Yeah. <laughs> so I immediately... Uh, moved to another radio station and uh, worked at, in uh, Pensacola uh, at a station over there that needed. Uh, and then I went from there to a radio station in Panama City. And, um, you know, the radio business, I just kind of bummed around. But at the same time, I kept playing music 
and I was interested in music. I was into electronics, so I kind of got into doing sound for bands and things like that. So then several um, uh, bands had asked me to do sound for them, and certain situations I'd done that and got some experience doing that. Uh-huh. Uh, I got a job as a technician, uh, left radio for a while cause I got a job as a technician in a recording studio. So where was that recording studio located? Uh, that was in, uh, central Florida near Cocoa beach. It, and, any cool bands that, that you worked with that we would know of? No, not at that time. But later on, I, I worked, uh, doing sound and in doing concert sound, uh, I got a job working for a company, um, back in the 60s uh, and early 70s called Activated Air. And it was that company was owned by a gentleman by the name of Dave Hadler. And the interesting thing about Dave Hadler was, is I would say he was the father of the modern PA system for bands. I mean, it was he, back before... Dave Hadler came along. It probably would have happened anyway, but he was the first to do it. So you got to give him the credit. Before that happened, like when the Beatles played Shea Stadium, they had these little uh, vocal columns that they spread around the stadium, and that was the technology of the day. And now you go to a concert, you see these huge speaker systems, you know, on each side of the stage. Dave Hadler was the first one to do that because he was the sound man for Jefferson Airplane. Oh, in California. Oh man. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So he he knew a thing or two about music. Yeah. So he <laughs> he he's like, okay, I need all these. I need these speakers. So in California, there were an awful lot of defunct uh, movie theaters. Movie theaters had gone out of business. Well, movie theaters used these speaker cabinets called Voice of Theater cabinets, which were very efficient and really sounded good because they're in a motion picture theater. Mm-hmm. So he went around to these defunct movie theaters and bought the old speaker systems out of them and then stacked them up, you know, as high as he could stack them for Jefferson airplane. So, you know, people will, the next time they go to a concert, they'll look at those and appreciate them in a different way because you're, because you're telling us this, this is why I had to have you on the show. If you're just tuning in, uh, welcome to the community round table. My boss, my friend and mentor, Tim camp is telling us how he became Tim camp. And I'm just loving, loving, loving this. All right. So where are we in our story? So, uh, yeah. During, so you get the pay raise. Yeah. In, <laughs> in radio. In, in, in doing sound, uh, you know, I did uh, sound for the Jay Giles band. I did uh, uh, sound for uh, the Guess Who. Um, you know, um, I have uh, mixed a lot of bands around here that people know, like Wet Willie. And, uh, mm. you know, so, yeah, I, I, uh, I had, you know, uh, Lou Rawls. I did sound for Lou Rawls. Uh, don't I'm not real fond of Lou Rawls, but I did do sound for him. It's, it's, it's nothing personal, all professional, uh, yeah, right? It's yeah. business. <laughs> so, uh, at any rate, um, that was that was a quite a bit of uh, a fun, and uh, you know, I actually in some of the sound companies I was working, I got it to go for a short while on a short jaunt with a company called Shoko as a technician, not anything to do with mixing the sound for the concert, but repairing equipment in between concerts. A lot of the equipment would break, you know, they would blow up power amplifiers and somebody had to fix them. And so I had a little electronic shop in the nose of a semi that I had to go into, or they had the shop. It wasn't my shop, but uh-huh. I had to go in that shop and, and replace, replace transistors. So in between shows, 
So you were, I mean, you had your hustle going. You, you, know, you had a gift. I, I, I would actually say I was spinning. I didn't know which way. <laughs> right. I didn't know which way I wanted to go. I wanted to play music. I loved electronics. I was into radio. Uh-huh. You know, and uh, so I do, I wasn't sure where I was going to land and all that really. Um, how, how about your travels? Were you able to travel with um, bands? Oh and- yeah, That's, I spent a lot of time on the road, both in my own bands. Uh-huh. You know, uh, traveling. Mostly kind of weekend warrior jaunts, uh, but um, you know, internet, doing the- doing sound. I traveled quite a bit, and then uh, radio took me all over the the place. I mean, I worked in in Florida, in three or four different cities, in New Brunswick, Georgia, Atlanta, Georgia, Birmingham, Alabama. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so and at this time, are you still under the age of thirty doing all this? Yes. Mm-hmm. My goodness, any overseas travel? No. Not yet. yet. (laughs) Okay, so then you fast forward to, you know, you did something that I think was just so unique and really epic in your time and when you did it. And I and I think of WNSP. Mm -hmm. Um, Walk us through why WNSP is really a history making type radio station. Well, you know, I've been in radio, I've been working in radio and uh I'd done various other jobs in the electronics industry and uh, various jobs in the music industry, as I said, doing sound, that sort of thing. Um, But radio was always my fallback because if I needed to have a steady paycheck, which a lot of times music is not going to bring you, um, I could fall back on radio. So I went back to radio and I had done every job that you could think of in radio I mean, I had been a disc jockey, I had been a chief engineer, I had been a program director, I had been a general manager, Uh, I had never done sales, though. Sales was one area I was not interested in at all, so I'd never done it until I came here. But I decided that if I wanted to continue in radio, I did not want to be a minion. Okay. I wanted to be in charge, okay? Because everybody that, everybody that I worked for on radio, I ultimately decided that I was smarter than they were. And, hey, and I, there's nothing wrong with having confidence. And I didn't I didn't want to work for them. I wanted them to work for me. So, and I, that's my ego talking, I guess. But I so the, the best place if you're going to own your own radio station is your hometown. Why so? Because you know people, because you have relationships. I mean, you know, I have had great friends here in Mobile. I mean, um, one of one of my good friends, uh, uh, Jim Puse, owned the uh, Budweiser distributorship here in Mobile. Well, he was in my homeroom at Murphy High School, see? I love it. You know, that's the way things work, you know, particularly in the South. Uh, that's what they call the good old boy network, you know, <laughs> not, not, uh, what you know, but who, you know, who, you know. Yeah. Uh-huh. So it's a lot of that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my family had been here and I was born and raised here. So, uh, that helps. It helps with your relationships with people. So any rate, uh, so I came back to mobile and, and oddly enough, you know, the first place I could find a job was back at WABB. Okay, so back to where I started. But it shifted, though, right? Yeah. No more the AM. All right, they had an AM and FM. Uh Uh-huh. And uh, uh, Bernie Dittman, who was a great broadcaster, um, owned radio stations uh, in 
not just in Mobile, but also in Birmingham and Nashville. So at any rate, I came back as chief engineer at WABV. I left there as DJ, came back as chief engineer. I mean, talk about growth. So um, I was chief engineer there for 14 years. And uh, then I met a gentleman that a lot of people in Alabama uh, know across the state, ran for governor, a fellow by the name of Jimmy Faulkner. And Jimmy Faulkner, uh, as in Faulkner State Junior Colleges, that yes, Jimmy Faulkner. That Jimmy Faulkner. Yeah, he owned this station over in Baymanette, uh, and it was called uh, WW, what was it? WWBM mm-hmm. was the call sign. Mm-hmm. And that stood for the world's, or no, it was WMBM. What did it stand for? World's most beautiful music. Ooh, I like that. So, that was that was what he had. But at any rate, he had uh, was not having success, success with the station, so he had turned it off. He had, it had gone dark. He owned the license, but it was dark. It was not on the air. So I went and saw him, and I said, "You know, I have an idea of what to do with your radio station." And he said, "A lot of people have had ideas." Of uh, what to do with my radio station, and they've all cost me an awful lot of money. Pause right there. All right, you are listening to Tim Camp. This conversation is so good. We are going to go over to uh, two five one now with Kelly Finley. So we're going to have a quick break. Keep it tuned to this automobile station because we're continuing the conversation. You've been listening to Community Roundtable, a production of .com Plus, 105.5 FM WNSP, 92.1 WZEW, 96.5 The Crab, and 92.5 The Soul. Tune in next Sunday at 7 a.m. for another edition of Community Roundtable on the Sound of Mobile. This is 251 Now with Kelly Finley, the go-to place for what's happening in our local community. Presented by AIDS Alabama South, Spring Hill College, and the Mobile County Health Department. The businesses you need to know about, local artists to support, restaurants to visit, community leaders making a difference, local topics you and your friends are talking about now. Good Sunday morning and welcome to 251 Now with Kelly Finley. If you're just tuning in, you've got great timing. And if you've been listening, then you know we've been talking to Tim Camp. Tim Camp, give us your um, mini titles, please, sir. I am uh, Director of Operations, Director of Programming for .com Plus LLC, owners of WZEW, WNSP, The Crab, and 92.5 The Soul of Mobile. And he is also known as TC in the morning. So we have been having such a great conversation and I paused him so that we could get caught, everyone caught up to where we are. Okay, so you are at WABB, which has now morphed from just an AM station to an AM and FM station. Mm -hmm. You started there as a DJ. You were there as a chief engineer. Right, I'm there as a chief engineer. And while I'm there as a chief engineer, the AM has become sort of the stepchild because the FM has come along, and WABB-FM is a big number one station in the market, uh, and the AM is a little stepchild. So uh, Mr. Dittman, Bernie Dittman, who was, uh, as I said earlier, was a great broadcaster. Uh, I could go, I could do 30 minutes on him alone. Mm-hmm. But uh, a rather unusual being, but a great broadcaster. 
and uh, great people worked for him. Some of the leaders in the broadcast industry today worked for Bernie Dittman. So, so he had an eye and an ear for talent. He certainly did. Okay. So at any rate, uh, he said, you take over the AM station and run the AM station, you know. So uh, I said, okay, we're going to do uh, news talk on it. So I, I put news talk on it and rolling along. And I wanted to get a, a leg up. And I said, you know what? If I could put this news talk station mm-hmm. on FM, it would do a lot better. Well, here's this dark FM over in Baymanette, 105.5, uh, the world's most beautiful music owned by Jimmy Partner. So I approached Jimmy Partner and I say, you know, I got an idea of what to do with your radio station. And he says, a lot of people have had great ideas. They've cost me a lot of money. Uh, the radio station never done anything but lose money. Uh-huh. You know, you've got about $500,000, you know, I'll give it to you. And I said, well, I don't have $500,000 right now, but you know, he goes in here. Well, tell me what it is you want to do. Evidently I made some sort of impression on him. And I said, well, what I want to do is sports all the time. Uh-huh. Uh, 24 hour sports. There's sports stations are starting to crop up around the country. They're all on AM. It's it had become a format that had been the savior of some AM stations, but I'm like, if we could do sports on FM, I said, you know, and he said, why do you think that will work? And I said, because people in in this area they're crazy for sports. It's Alabama and Auburn. I mean, you know, it's college football. I mean, duh, right? Yeah. So I mean, it makes so much sense now, but at the time, what you were saying was a little foreign. Oh yes, and and he goes, well, let me ask you this. He said, if you put a sports station on it. Would you carry Faulkner State Junior College basketball? And I said, sure. He goes, okay, let's do it. Just like that. Just like that. So, um, and you do, I, I will say this because you do a great impression of this gentleman. I've heard you. Oh, you're talking it. about Bernie Dimmons. Yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you do a great impression. So, so to start with, what I did is I went back to Bernie and I said, you know what? We could do an LMA, which is a lease management agreement, with Mr. Faulkner and simulcast WABB AM on his FM station. And at, at this time, you're how old now? Uh, I'm 30. That young, and but had such sense to think so forward when it came to this industry i'm i'm just i'm just admiring the story go ahead please so um he said okay let's do that so we we started doing that and um um we broadcast we simulcast abba and which was basically news talk and then we did a little sports and we did Faulkner state junior college basketball were they good uh it, it was uh sometimes up and down but <laughs> any rate, um, after the uh, lease management agreement, which we did for six months, was over, uh, Mr. Faulkner came to me and said, uh, I don't want to do this anymore. Uh, I'm getting older, and I don't want to have this radio station as part of my estate. Um, so I want to sell the radio station. So I went back to... Um, and he goes, if I'm going to sell the radio station, mm-hmm. I'm going to sell it to you because you're the only one that's ever made money with it. He said, the only, he said, you're the only broadcaster I've ever known who has been totally unequivocal and told me the 
absolute truth every time I ask you a question. Integrity matters. So he said, I, if I'm going to sell the radio station, I'm going to sell it to you. Well, I didn't have the money to do it. So um, I went back to Mr. Dittman and I said, you can buy this radio station. I don't, I don't want to buy it. I don't want to own it. <laughs> That's Bernie. He's like, um, why do I want to do that? <laughs> so I feel like I know him. Just so I said, you know what? I'll do it. I'll, I'll, I'll just do it myself. So I quit WVB and I started WNSP. Changed the call letters of Mr. Farter Station to WNSP, which originally stood for News Sports. That's what it stood for. We did news at the top of the hour, and the rest of the time we did sports. So it was news and sports. We're still doing that now. Yeah. And <laughs> um, so uh, it hasn't really changed. And and everybody in radio, every, you know, I'd been around Mobile. I was born and raised here, and I'd been at WBB at that time as chief engineer for almost 15 years. So everybody in radio and Mobile knew me. Mm-hmm. And they all said, sports on FM, you're out of your mind. You're, you'll be out of business in six months. Okay, so six months later. Still in business. Still in business. How many years later now? Um, what are we on? Uh, 2021. Uh, well, we started in 1993. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, been quite a few years. It's, uh, we're in our, our close to 30 years. First in the country? 28 years anyway. Huh? First in the country? First FM sports talk station in the country, yes. Those are some bragging rights. Yeah, well, we brag about it. You hear us say at the top of every hour, the first <laughs> FM sports talk station. And now people understand why and how yeah. you had to have that vision for something that we just really take for granted now, now that we have 10,000 stations to choose from mm-hmm. on, on TV. And radio-wise, you know, we have different options. But, you know, we impress upon people the importance of locally owned and locally operated. And so you're giving them the backstory as to what that means. So that's NSP, all right? So that's 1993. Right. So when does the zoo baby come along? About uh, 18 years ago, about 18, 19 years ago now, 19 years ago. Um, 92 Zoo was in bankruptcy, okay? And it was uh, in danger of just going away. Mm-hmm. And so we, uh, by this time, I should say, you know, I had brought in a, a partner which is kind of an interesting story. I was running WNSP, and a guy who owned a, a radio station that had his initials on it, WKSJ, which is Kenneth S. Johnson, he came to me uh, and and said, I want you to come to work for me. I've got uh, these eight radio stations, and we're building new studios in a new, in a new building, and you need to uh, come help me do this. Mm-hmm. Everybody I talk to says, you're the guy who has the expertise to do this. And I'm like, I don't want to do that. I've got WNSP, and I'm doing that, and I'm happy, and that's all I want to do. And um, so he didn't give up. He just kept coming back and kept coming back, kept offering me, making offers to me of more and more money. And I kept telling him, no, I don't care. It's not about the money. I'm happy doing what I'm doing. I'm running WNSP, and I like it. And he goes, I get it. It's a great station. And uh, he finally said, I'll tell you what. You can bring WNSP and move it into the building where the rest of my radio stations are and continue to run WNSP if you'll come be engineer over the design of all of these other stations. 
Wow. So I'm like, okay, all right. That, uh, that sounds okay. So I did that. So that's how Mr. Johnson and I uh, first met. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I had known of him, uh, never had met him before in, until that time. And so ended up moving into the building with all of his stations, which was Capital Broadcasting, which was WKSJ and Mix 99 and 96.1, The Rocket, and all the stations which are now owned by Clear Channel because he later sold all of them mm-hmm. to Clear Channel. But he brought me in as a vice president of engineering for Capital Broadcasting and let me keep move WNSP. So anyway, when he sold all those stations, he and I formed formed a partnership, and uh, which became .com plus LLC. And we moved WNSP to its current location. Then a few years later... Here comes 92 Zoo. It's in bankruptcy. We decide to buy it out of bankruptcy and uh, uh, if we can, but we have to go to court and bid on it. Okay. Okay. Uh-huh. So it's an auction for the station. And uh, who are we sitting across the aisle from who's bidding against us but Bernie Dittman? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so uh, that, was, that, was, that was quite uh, a thing. How long did those legal proceedings uh, go on? Oh, gosh. Seems like months months Mm -hmm. but at any rate he in the end we we won the bid but he didn't mr dittman didn't know that we had already reached our maximum bid our we had told our attorneys what the maximum we would pay for Uh it and if he had gone a hundred dollars over that he would have got it but he didn't you kept the game face yeah we kept the game face and gave our final bid and he he backed off and we got it so okay so that's wnsp right that is of course that's 92 zoo 92 zoo thus far so we've got the two stations we're going to take a quick break and we come back we're going to talk about the two newest additions to the sound of mobile and uh get more information on you know some thoughts that tim has when he looks forward when it comes to goals for our community and and why it's so important and what it means when we continue to tell you locally owned and locally operated quick break back with more on 251 now with kelly finley Welcome back to 251 Now with Kelly Finley. Thank you again to our sponsors who believe in what we're doing and continue to uh, support locally owned, locally operated. And that's where we're taking this conversation. Tim Camp is my guest. You know him as many things with many hats, but today he's my boss and he is my guest. And he's sharing the behind the scenes of really the music industry, the business side of the house. So we've talked about the two stations, your first two stations. Now the Soul and the Crab have joined the Sound of Mobile. How did that come about? Well, um... HD radio. Uh, HD radio is a new technology that allows an FM station to broadcast digital signals on top of their their analog signal. So the signal on 92.1 actually has uh, two what you would kind of call subcarriers, but they're not really subcarriers. I'm not going to get into the uh, electronic theory of how it's done, but at any rate, it allows you to put two... Uh, digital modulations on top of the analog modulation. It, it increases the the width on the dial of the radio station uh, to some degree. So um, only certain stations are allowed to do this at certain percentages of their signal power. Okay, it could be ten uh, percent, or it could be seven percent, or it could be five percent. 
of your overall power that you could put in mm-hmm. a digital signals. And by slicing that up, you can basically do um, three, maybe up to four signals, depending upon the bandwidth. You have so much bandwidth, and then you can slice it up. And a lot of people who stream realize the difference between a 32 kilobit per second stream and a 64 kilobit per second stream and a 96 kilobit per second stream or, or more 132, whatever uh, it's better quality. The more kilobits per second you have, uh-huh. you know, so a, a uh, 32 megabit uh, per second stream is not going to sound as good as a 64. And it's the same sort of thing. You have uh, 92 kilobits, uh, that you can divide up. Okay, so I could do three uh, 96 kilobits. I should say you could. I could divide it up between three 32s, mm-hmm. or I could have a two eights, a 16, and and a 16 and a 32. You see what I'm saying? So what percentage do we have? We're doing 32 kilobits per second on okay. two stations. So the soul and the crab, and and what are the and then the, we're doing artwork on, and stuff like that along with it. And what are the birth years of the soul and the crab? Because it's not the same day. No, uh, that's because uh, we wanted to uh, do the stations, do the HD channels with a translator. Now, one of the things that the FCC law allows is that you can retransmit a uh, signal inside your market on another frequency, and it's called a translator. Well, the HD channels, uh, they qualify for that, so... The, even if you don't have an HD radio, the, the programming that we're transmitting on HD2 and HD3 can be put on a translator. So we acquired one translator from one company and one translator from another country, uh, company. The first one we acquired was 92.5 FM, and it was uh, licensed to Saraland, Alabama. And we acquired that translator. It's 250 watts, and we put the crab on 92.5. Well... A month or two later, a couple of months later, we acquired 96.5, which was also licensed to Sarah Land, which we have subsequently relicensed to Mobile. But um any rate, then we moved the crab from 92.5 to 96.5 because the 96.5 had a little bit better coverage. It's a little higher on the tower, has a little bit better coverage than 92.5. So we moved the crab to 96.5. And decided, you know, well, we got to do something with this 92.5. And with our HD3, what are we going to do? And um, kind of just selfish in my, you know, thought, I wanted to do uh, R&B. You know, I'm a big blues R&B fan. I love rhythm and blues. So I was like, I want to do R&B, an old school R&B, you know. Uh I want to hear Wilson Pickett and I want to hear Sam and Dave, you know. Uh, I want to hear some James Brown, you know, yeah. what I'm saying, the Good Temptations, stuff. the Tams, uh, the Four Tops, you know, that's uh, that's the stuff that I grew up on. You know, when I started in radio at WBB AM, mm-hmm. we played an awful lot of soul music. I mean, that was in the top 40 in those days, you know, that was when uh, at a time where black artists were starting to get played on on uh, commercial radio. 
you know? Yes. I mean, there was segregation even in radio back in those days. There were white stations and there were black stations. Still is. I mean, right. if, we, if we can really be honest about it, there's still that segregation. But you are so forward thinking with the fact that you just wanted good music. You didn't care what the people looked like. No. <laughs> it was good music. Right. So there. So that's the soul. That's the soul. And you know what's funny is when I'm out and about and I meet people, the majority of people who say they love the soul, they are not black people. No. They're white people. They're, no, it's because they grew, they grew up with top 40. You know, I mean, if they're older, they grew up in, in top 40 radio and top 40 radio was the first people. I mean, rock and roll wouldn't exist if it were not for our African-American brothers and sisters. I mean, it just wouldn't. I'm you glad know, you because, said that. I'm glad you said that. It's so important to, re, to remind people. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the British bands that came over here and the the British wave, the, the new wave of music that came from Great Britain that included the Beatles and the Rolling Stones, those guys all came out of, of uh, uh, African-American blues artists here in the United States because they're big fans. They were big fans of Muddy Waters and Willie Dixon and 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 so they were listening to blues because the American record companies weren't selling enough of those records in the United States, so uh-huh. they they shipped them overseas to Europe. But you know the problem is, is when people don't do their research, they don't know. They just stay with what's happening now. They have no idea who planted that seed. Right. And so, unfortunately, there's a lot of artists who've made a lot of money off people, and basically they they swiped their material. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the fact that you have a platform that allows for people to really appreciate the true and real artists mm-hmm. from back in the day, that's a gift. Yeah. And, so, and, and you know, there are people who appreciated it. And, and you know, I just it comes to mind to me uh, a, a fact and a little story about the Rolling Stones. You know, the first time they came to the United States. And uh, they were starting to be a big deal. They were Rolling Stones, England's newest hit makers, you know, uh, following the Beatles, right, uh-huh. uh, in the British invasion. And they wanted the Rolling Stones to be on television, on, on national TV. And they said, we will not go on the TV show unless Howlin' Wolf can be on the show with us. Why did they insist on that? Because of what you just said. That's where the music came from. That's what that was their inspiration. So they're standing up for the people who so many people wanted to look past and not even acknowledge. Right. Mm. All because of color. Right. Okay. So <laughs> if you look at that up on YouTube and Google that, you will see the Rolling Stones sitting in the audience watching Howl and Wolf on that TV show. I love it. Yeah. I love when people understand the importance of their moves. It's not just for them, but it's for an entire community of, and you can fill in the blank. And that's right. what happened. Yeah. All right. So now we've got four stations. Yeah. So what are you hoping that the masses understand when they listen to any of your stations that, that fall under the Sound of Mobile umbrella? They don't take radio for granted. Um, you know, I worry about the future of radio. Um, the internet has taken over, but, um, what happens when, if that technology comes crumbling down, okay, what happens, um, uh, we found out here very, uh, short time ago with, uh, uh, our computer situation here at the radio station, we lost all of our music. How, how, I mean, how much music is that? 30,000 songs. Ooh. So, 
when you lose all that, you have to go back and you say, okay, well, thank goodness we have the, we have these CDs. Yes. That's old technology. You know, a lot of people would think that just takes up a lot of space, but if it were not for those CDs, we would not be able to regrow these music formats and put the music back. And so, and as we wrap up, okay, this interview, that's perfect that you said that because will you let everyone know who was smart enough who was savvy enough? Who was just so musically gifted enough to tell everyone to save our CDs? That would be Leanne Camp, my late wife. There were a lot of people that wanted uh, to get rid of the CDs because of just what I said. There uh, people in our building who said, you know, that's taking up a lot of room. We got two closets full of nothing but CDs, you know. Uh, why don't we just get rid of these CDs? We don't need them. All the music's on hard drive. What do we need the CDs for? And Leanne was like, CDs are not going anywhere. And that's how we're able to be back on the air with music. That is how you get to tune in, whichever station you listen to, just to hear commercials. You you, you didn't know you even love commercials. And that's how you get to hear TC in the morning. All right, give them the time that you're on, please, and give them uh, a sentence of motivation as we take them to their Sunday break. Well, 6 a.m. Monday through Friday, and then uh, Sunday afternoons at 1 o'clock, I do a little four-hour blues show called 92 Blues, and uh, just listen to our, I don't care which one it is, WNSP, The Crab, The Soul, or 92 Zoo, support local radio, support local businesses, uh, because that money stays in your community. You know, um, it doesn't go out of town. Uh, you could, there may be local people that work on radio stations that are owned by big corporations, but their profits do not stay here. I'll just say that. That's so great. Thank you for joining me for the entire hour of both the community roundtable. No, you're, (laughs) first of all, you're the boss. Secondly, the conversation was that engaging, and I I, I think it's a huge treat for everyone. So the community roundtable and 251 Now with Kelly Finley has been blessed with the talents and the awesomeness of Tim Camp. Thank you for tuning in. We appreciate you so very much. Continue to support local and understand that your money does stay here. All right, until next Sunday, we'll see you back here same time, same place. Until then. Tune in every Sunday for 251 Now with Kelly Finley, presented by Spring Hill College, AIDS Alabama South, and the Mobile County Health Department, 730 to 8 a.m., right here on The Sound of Mobile.